If you would, please turn to the book of 2 Kings and chapter 6. 2 Kings and chapter 6. If you don't have it, it is going to be on the screen this morning. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. Now, one day, the guild of prophets came to Elijah and they asked, You can see this place that we're living under, your leadership, it's getting cramped. We have no elbow room. Give us permission to go down to the Jordan where each one of us will get a log. We'll build a roomier place. Elijah said, go ahead. One of them said, please come with us. To which he said, certainly. He went with them. They came to the Jordan and they started chopping down trees. Now one of them was felling a timber. His axe head flew off and sank into the river. Oh no, master, he cried out. It was borrowed. The holy man said, where did it sink? The man showed him the place, and he cut off a branch, and he tossed it in the spot. The axe head floated up. Steel ain't supposed to float, y'all. The axe head floated up. He said, grab it. The man reached out, and he took it. So here we have, uh, the last few weeks and continuing for a few more, we've been talking about Elijah and Elijah. And here we have this really interesting story in the midst of different things that are going on and uh, this kind of random story of a guy going out and chopping down some trees and losing the axe head. Uh, and I love the, the way it starts. It starts with there's this group of prophets that they're together and they have this idea. So it's like, you see that the house that we're meeting in, it's getting really cramped. Let's go build you another house down by the river. And to which the prophet's like, okay, let me get this straight. Y'all want to build me a house on the water? Sounds like a good idea. Y'all have heard from the Lord. Like this is, he's like, he doesn't even pray about it. He's like, this is good. Y'all want to build me a house? Go for it. And, you know, boom. And then, and then this happens. He says, Will you come with us? Uh, they throw out the invite to him. Uh, not, I thought about this, and I thought, what if they didn't invite him? Would he have went? I mean, they're building this new place. They need a, they need a roomier place. They're saying, listen, we need some elbow room. If you were actually with the church while we were at the other building, you remember needing a roomier place. Uh, we, we actually had services where there was probably 30 or 40 people standing up in the back, we actually got to the point where we were putting people in the parking lot. Y'all remember that? Some of y'all remember that. We called it outdoor church. It really meant we ain't got no more room, so y'all go hang out in the parking lot church. We put some TVs out there, and it was cool. It worked. And people were like, we need a roomier place. And we got it here, but it ain't going to be longer until we need another roomier place. Amen? And so this is happening. They say, hey, let's go build this place. They make the ask. And I kind of thought... Thinking to myself, there's so many times that do we just do that? Do we make the ask? Do, do we let our petition be known? Sometimes I think we're confronted with these, uh, these prayers or these ideas or with these thoughts, and we kind of keep them to ourselves, and we're afraid to just make the ask. Even with our prayers, like, God, you know, there, there's something, but I, I'm even, I don't even know if I should pray this. And, and you would be amazed at what would happen if you just ask, the scripture tells us an ask, seek, knock. 
And, and, and I think about Jesus. Jesus was a master of this. Jesus came up to these different men and women, in these, and, and the Scripture tells us, particularly the disciples at the beginning, where he sees these guys fishing, and he says, follow me. Follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And, then just, and they, just, they just drop everything. They drop their nets. Uh, two of the boys actually leave their dad hanging on the boat, and they're like, no, we're, we're following this guy. And then that's, all, that's all the input Jesus says. He just, follow me. He, did, he doesn't go into great de- detail. He doesn't tell them, hey, uh, these are all the things that we're going to do. He just say, you've been fishing, and now we're going to fish for men. Like, if it was in today's society, I think we would have been, wait, hold on, Jesus. Is there a 401k with that? Like, wait, hold on, Jesus. How much am I going to get per hour? Hold on, Jesus. What, what exactly is the job description? Because may, fishers of men... A little bit vague. I don't, I'm not quite getting what are you saying. Uh, but Jesus just threw it out there. Follow me. And, and this is so important because you got to remember at this time, uh, in this culture, in, in first century Jerusalem, whenever a rabbi came to town and a rabbi uh, said, follow me, what he's saying is you're good enough to be my disciple. And so these men that were fishing, these, these tax collectors and, and all these that, when Jesus is coming up to them and he's saying, follow me, all of a sudden, it's a breath of fresh air to them because for the majority of their life, they've been rejected. See, they've gone through all the schooling, they've gone, they've gone through everything, and, and they've had rabbi after rabbi tell them, listen, you're not good enough. You, 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 can't, you didn't quite make the cut, because if you're to be my disciple, that means you're going to follow in my footsteps, and if you don't make the cut, well, you just got to go back to the family business. And, and so here are these guys that they've been rejected, and, and, and a rabbi's coming into town, and he's telling them, wait, hold, hold on, where someone else has rejected you, I'm telling you that you're good enough. And so they drop the nets, and they follow him. They follow Jesus. And I think Jesus is still doing this today. He's still making this invitation today. That you're, if you're in this room this morning and you don't know him, if you're in here and maybe you have felt rejected and other people have told you you're not good enough and, and you'll never make the cut, you're not smart enough, and Jesus is saying, you're good enough, follow me. Follow me. <laughs> And this is happening, they ask the prophet, if you'll just come down with us, we want to do this thing, and if you'll just help us, we're going we're to build this place. And then this happens, they get to work, and one of them has an axe. And I don't know if it looked exactly like this, but one of them had an axe, and apparently he's chopping this wood, and the axe head flies off. So that... <laughs> All right, so the axe head flies off, right? And he's freaking out. He's like, oh, no, I've lost my blade. I've lost it. What am am I going to do now? i got to be honest with you. I don't have much experience with chopping down trees. As a matter of fact, when I read this the first time, it it says this in this version of the scriptures. It says uh, they were felling a timber. And I just thought, can you felling a timber? And apparently, according to the dictionary, you can. It is the process of which cutting down a tree. I would say you're just chopping a tree down, but no, you can be felling a timber. And, and so 
you know, I was looking at the axe, and I'm more familiar with this tool right here. I have dug quite a number of ditches in my day, and drainage ditches, and moved rocks, and all kinds of stuff. So, I, But I thought these, these two things that they kind of have in common, and, and a lot of these yard tools, is you've got something weak, being this kind of wood handle, and then you've got something strong, the, the steel head on it. And uh, through my years of shoveling, I've probably gone through about six different shovels in my ditch digging career. And every time the shovel breaks, it always breaks in the same spot. It always breaks at the place in which something hard meets something weak, and the designers of the shovel inside the shovel industry have come up with the plan, well, we'll just put a a little screw or a nail in there, and that's what's going to hold it on. And if you go to the store today, you go to Home Depot, you go to Lowe's, it don't matter what, you're going to find the same thing. You're going to find it could be a wooden handle or a fiberglass handle, or they could wrap it in plastic, but each one of them have something in common. They're taking something hard and something weak, and they're joining it together with something that's inferior. And so it breaks every time it breaks in the same spot. Because there's this tension point. There's this tension point in which all of the force that you're exerting is coming through one thing into another. And the same thing with the axe handle. You've got, you've got the steel and then you've got the wood. And all the tension gets put on that one spot. And there's this moment here where this guy is felling a tree and it breaks. The head of it falls off. The tension point. And I got to thinking, just like every one of my shovels that have broken in the same spot, that's often true of our lives. If you look back at your lives, the areas in which you break are often the tension spots, and they often break in the same spot over and over again. In your marriage, maybe it's communication, or maybe it's finances, or, or, or maybe it's uh, the sin that so easily besets you. Whatever it is, there's these tension points in our lives, and it's different for each one of us. And, and, and the tension, we put, we put it time and time again, and maybe it's time management. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's with relationships. Whatever it is, there's this tension point, and it just seems to break time and time again. And what we do is, like these shovels, we try to fix them with an inferior product. We try to, well, you know what? I could just, I could just duct tape this right here because I'm from the south, y'all. And if I got a broken shovel, let me show y'all how to fix it right here. And so if I got a problem with my marriage, I'm just going to turn on some Oprah. (laughs) Come on now. I'm preaching. Y'all don't even know it. I'm going to turn on some Oprah. And Oprah told me if I just try really hard, and Dr. Phil said if I just read these three books, then my marriage is going to get better. And, and, and then the next thing you know, we're taking all of these tips from all of these people, whether it's Oprah or Dr. Phil, and all of it usually revolves around this idea of self-reliance, and, and you could just do it if you try harder, and you could do it if you get more disciplined. And let me tell you, all that is is adding duct tape to the life, because you, it, it, it might appear to work for a little bit until you put some tension on it, 
until you put some tension on it, and all of a sudden, the weight of the world or the weight of whatever it is that you're going through, it'll break. And, and your, your axe head will fly off. And, and that area that you thought you had it all covered, all of a sudden, it doesn't work anymore. And, and I've learned this thing when it comes to shovels and, and axe heads. And, and, and you could even ask some of the gentlemen in here. We have Jason, he owns his own uh, plumbing business. And so whether it's plumbing, electrical, woodworking, if, if you have something that's broke or you're trying to fix something, there's this important element to fixing broken pipes or, or, or whatever it may be. And that's this. The surface has to be prepared right. See, if you don't prepare the surface, it won't form a tight bond. And if the bond's not formed tight, it's just a matter of time before that pipe breaks again, before the, the head on that axe breaks again. Uh, if there's not a tight bond, it's only a matter of time before it falls apart. And the misconception with our lives is that when things break, that we can prepare the surface on our own. That we can work hard enough, we can be disciplined enough to get it right where everything will work out. And I'm here to tell you, as Christian believers, there is only a couple things that you could do to prepare your surface for a tight bond. That's humility and repentance. Of saying, God... I can't do it on my own. I've tried to fix it. I've tried to fix it time and time again. I've read all the books. I've said all the right things. I've gone to all the conferences. I keep doing everything I can, but it just keeps falling apart. I need your help. I can't do it on my own. And there's something about that humility. There's something about that repentance that creates a surface in which the Holy Spirit can come and form a bond on those tension points in your life, those things that so easily break. And he does it with his blood. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only thing, and it's the only reason why you're even keeping it together at all right now. By his grace and by his mercy and by his shed blood that we are where we are right now. I've told y'all this story a bunch of times, but I just love the story of uh, these gentlemen in prison that are questioning uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes, and they're asking the question, you know, how did you do it? And, and he corrects them. He says, like, your assumption is that I've done it. Your assumption is that I've arrived. I haven't. If not, but by the sheer grace of God, I would be where you are right now. I would be where you are right now. That humility that repentance, that bond that Jesus comes in. And so this happens where he's, he's lost his axe, it's flown off into the river, and, and he freaks out. Like, don't you know, it was borrowed. Like, this tool wasn't even his. He's freaking out because he's lost something that wasn't even his to begin with. He has no ability to pay this debt back. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and then he goes and he tells the prophet, and, and the prophet says, well, this is what we're going to do. He chops off a stick. Show me where it's at. He throws it in the water. 
And it got me. He's like, where, where was it at? And if I was this guy, what does it matter where it was at? It's gone. It's lost forever. Why are you trying to do it? And then the prophet's trying to take him back to the place in which he lost something. See, maybe things have gotten bad. Maybe you've lost something along the way. And just maybe God wants to bring you back to that place that you lost it. And see, sometimes that's the place that we want to avoid. That's the place that we want to say, Jesus, no, no, no. That, that, that represents everything, all the hurt, all the pain. I'm, I'm not going back there. And to which sometimes I think he just says, no, follow me back to this place. Follow me back to the place of your pain, your hurt, your loss. When we open the scriptures, we see in the book of Job um, this man that is living honorable before God. He, he, he's even got to the point where the enemy is, is having this conversation with God and saying, have you, have you, and God said, have you considered my servant Job? He, he, he's honest. He's upright. And, and this goes back and forth. And if you've ever read the book of Job, Job's name literally becomes synonymous with things going wrong. I mean, he loses his, his family. He, he, he loses everything, his health. It gets to the point where he's sitting by, the, by a fire and he's scraping his sores with a piece of pottery. I mean, it, he, he's, he's, it's gotten bad. And, and, and all of this is happening. And there, there's, there, there's this, this part where uh, a whirlwind has come and it, it, it's, it's taken away crops and family. And, and there's disaster but what gets me is that at the end of the book, there comes this portion of scripture where it says, and then the Lord answered Job. Job, has, he's, he's emptied his heart. He's told all, all of what's going on, how much he's hurting, how much he's in, he's in pain. But then it says, this, and the Lord answered him in the whirlwind. And I just thought that's interesting, God, because the whirlwind was the very thing that took his family. The whirlwind was the very thing that represented the pain and the hurt that, that, that started this whole process. And now you choose to answer him in the very manner. Like, if God, if this is kind of counseling 101. If somebody has a pain or hurt, you don't bring that up right off the get-go. And yet this is how God comes in. And he answers Job from the whirlwind. I don't know about you, but sometimes when God speaks he speaks through sometimes people I don't even like. I, I remember being in college, and there was this, there was this one lady that um, she would always go around and she would give people prophetic words, but it was, she was just always a little off the rocker. I mean, she was just like, she was one of those that, I, I'm sure it's great, but man, you're, you're just so weird. You're freaking me out, lady. You're just, I mean, I know it, I know you love Jesus, you're awesome, but wow, tone it down a notch, you know? But she is who, and I just always kind of remember things just like, don't come up to me, just don't, please. You know, I would love to hear a, a word from you, Lord, but anybody else. And lo and behold, what happens? One day she comes up to me, and I just couldn't get away. She like had me in the corner, and she gave me this word. That was the best word I had ever gotten. And I knew, I was like, God, this is you. You have answered out of the whirlwind. And, and it was just this moment of realization of like, okay, God. Sometimes 
he does that. Sometimes he brings us back to that place in which there's loss, there's pain, there's hurt, there's regret. Sometimes we lose our edge. Sometimes our passion has turned to pain, it's turned to doubt, it's turned to worry, it's turned to fear, it's turned to anxiety. Um, I think about John the Baptist, where John the Baptist hears this guy that he's, he's preparing the way for the Lord. He, he's got crowds coming in from all over to hear him. And, and all of these amazing things are happening. Gets to the point where he's even announcing Jesus like, here he is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is baptized. There's a voice from heaven. I mean, this is amazing. Best church service ever, right? I mean, right now, voice from heaven, this is my son, I'm well. I mean, like, amazing stuff. And all of a sudden, you flip a few pages, and John the Baptist is in prison. And he's got a couple of his boys. He says, like, hold on, I need y'all to get a message to Jesus. Are, are you the one? Are, are, you, are you sure? Because I'm in prison right now. Things haven't exactly turned out the way I thought they were going to turn out. He, he sends this message. Things, things is, and I love what Jesus responds back to him with. He says, listen, go and tell John this. Listen, the blind see, the deaf hear, the kingdom is coming. People are, I mean, he's just, he's just reminding John, listen, John, I know all you can see is these prison walls right now, but there's something bigger happening and it's just this realization of John having to come. I could just imagine him, those, those days and those weeks inside those prison cells where we have to come to the point of like, okay, God, I must decrease. You must increase. God, I, I put my faith and my trust in you, even though it seems like everything is not working out. Thanks for reminding me. The blind are seeing the, the, the deaf are here, and, and I'm here to remind you all that this morning, no matter what you're going through, that Jesus is alive and working and active right now. No matter what it looks like in society, no matter what you think uh, negative has happened in, in our culture, whatever, Jesus is at work, and he can do it. He can do it. Uh, we have a few contractors in the place this morning, and, and if you've ever spent some time with these contractors and, and, and new homeowners that they're building a home for, I could always tell when they're at the beginning of the process and when they're towards the, the middle of the process and when they're at the end of the process. Because when they're in the beginning of the process, that homeowner is excited. Yes, I got my plans. I got my house. This is, this is my contractor. He's going to build this house for me. It's going to be so nice. It's going to be so good. They're like high-fiving, fist-bumping. You know what I'm talking about, Tim. You know what I'm talking about. Tim's a contractor. And then all of a sudden, they get in the process of building this house, and things go wrong. It freezes. There's rain for two weeks. There's all of these things happen, and all of a sudden, the homeowner starts freaking out. Because the windows ain't going to be delivered on time. Because the doors didn't come in the way they did. And, and the homeowner's just, I don't know, how are we going to do it? And then, and this is the worst part, because the contractor's just like, it's all good. <laughs> I will do it. The boys will be there tomorrow, 1030-ish. You know? Y'all know what I'm talking about. This is southern contractors. That's how we roll. That's how we do it. We'll get there when we get there. And, and they're just chill because they know the house is going to get built. 
But everybody else and that homeowner is just, I don't know, we're supposed to be in there July 31st. It's, it's, it's just not going to happen. I don't know. They're freaking out. And the contractor is just chill. And then by the end of the process, when it all comes back together, then they're friends again. <laughs> then, oh, you did such a wonderful job, Tim. My house is just lovely. I love the mirrors and the doors you picked out. And it's this process that we go through. It's part of it. And if we're not careful, somewhere along the line when things go wrong, if we're not careful, we could let that anxiety and that, that worry and that angst get the best of us. And, and we could begin to believe that the, this is never going to work out. Think, things are never going to get better. My marriage is never going to get better. My, my family's always going to be like this. And there's a part where I think Jesus kind of like the contractors, like, well, let me just send you word and let me remind you that there's more going on than what you see. There's more happening than, than what you just see on the outside. As a matter of fact, there's this part where he writes this letter to this church, and he says, return to your first love. R- remember that? Y'all, y'all remember the first love? All of you married couples, like that honeymoon, that girl couldn't do nothing wrong. Oh, girl, yeah, and those pants look great on you. Ten years later, you wearing that girl? I don't, I don't, I don't think, I don't think those, those pants ain't working anymore. You know, you know how we are. You y'all know y'all do it. You might not say it out loud. You might, you might be smart enough not to say it out loud, but you thinking about it. You know better. You know better. But then some of us don't know better, like me. And I say stuff, and then my wife smacks me, and then I back to reality. And, and, and all of this happens, and God says, like, just remember that. Remember that time when you first got saved, and I just told you to follow me, and I didn't have all of the maps planned out. You were just happy that you knew me. You were just happy that your, that, that feeling of just absolute forgiveness of God, that you have taken this man, this woman that whose righteousness is like filthy rags, and God, you've made me pure. And it's all by your grace, and it's all by your blood. I don't want to forget that. Um, a few weeks ago, Chris McKenzie in here, he had a heart attack, he's, and he's in the hospital. He's having, he's having the, the doctors revive him, and he's going through all these things, and, and even now I've talked to him, and he's saying, you know, he's in this uh, recovery, physical therapy process, and all this stuff. And, and it's funny. Anytime I talk to individuals that have had these experiences where they've they've almost died, they all have the same common element. I'm just happy to be alive. I know that traffic's crazy today, but I'm just happy to be sitting in traffic. I know that like that lady in the Walmart checking line is taking forever, but I'm just glad that I even be in this line. I know, I know everything around me. I, I, I keep flipping the switch. The, the power's gone out. Things ain't working. I'm just glad that I'm around to flip that switch. Because there's been this realization. There's been this clarity that, God, by your grace. God, by, by your mercy. And, and it's so easy to lose that. There's an, another gentleman uh, in the church that he was, uh, he was diagnosed stage four cancer. And the Lord healed him. The Lord healed him 100%. 
God said, the, the doctor said it was a miracle. A miracle. Stage four cancer uh, got to the point where he was laying on the table, got to the point where the doctors were saying, bringing in students to say, hey, this is what someone looks like right before they die. And God healed him. And, and he said, you know, he said, Lucas, when I, when I first got out of that hospital, I can't tell you, it didn't matter what happened. I was just happy to be walking. I was just happy to be, be there. Uh, my, my, one of my best friends, Chris Stanley, I, I go and I pick him up from the hospital one day. And they, they've given him these tests and, and everything. They've actually had to take um, a cyst out that he had on his brain. And they had to go up his nose from in between his eyes, take out the cyst. And apparently they gave him the good stuff drugs. Because my man is high as a kite. And I, like, and I go, and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna pick, I think he's in Raleigh or something. I'm like, I'm going to come pick you up. I'm going to take you home. And I, I'm, I'm so excited for him because the, the operation's gone well. The procedure's good. And Chris comes walking, and he comes, and he gives me this big hug. He's just, Lucas, I just love you so much. Lucas, you're just the best pastor in the world. You're my best friend. And I'm just, I'm all in tears. I am crying that this guy is saying all these things to me. I'm like, man, I'm a pretty good friend, you know, <laughs> friend, you know. And so then we pull up to the gas station, and this lady, the gas station lady comes out, and Chris goes up and gives her a big hug. I just love you so much. <laughs> You're so awesome. He gets back in the car, and I'm like, dude, what was that all about? <laughs> like, I thought we were all, I thought we were boys. And he's just like, no, you know. And it's, it's easy to lose that. It's easy to lose that first love. It's easy to lose that passion. It's easy to lose your blade. It's really easy to lose your edge. It's really easy to get caught up in the routine. It's really easy to go in day in and day out and say, you know, this is what life is going to be like from now on. My marriage isn't going to get any better. My kids aren't going to get any less crazy. Whatever it is, you know, and this is what it looks like. And somewhere along the line, we kind of lose our edge. We lose our blade. It's fallen in the water. And this morning, I think God says, point to me the place in which you lost it. Because odds are you know exactly where you lost it. You know exactly where that moment was where you just said, this is it. This is all there is to it. You know that place of pain and hurt and loss, that everything within you wants to do anything but go back to that place. And God says, no, 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 let's go back there. And he breaks off a stick, and it's called the cross. And he throws it in that water. And all of a sudden, what was once impossible becomes possible and iron floats, and marriages get better, and relationships get restored, and people get healed, and all of a sudden doctors are saying, I don't know why, I can't explain why you're doing better, but you are doing better. Let's run the CAT scan again, Tim. We got to run it again because I don't know why. It wasn't the medicine. Jesus must have done something in your life. Jesus must have done something in your marriage. Jesus must have done something, because I can't explain it. I've been trying to put duct tape on it for years. 
But, John, but God, God's done something, and there's a bond there now that can't be broken. And see, here's the thing about our edge and our passion. I find that there's lots of ways in losing it. There's lots of ways in which we can lose it. And sometimes when God has to get us back to it, he works in a few different ways. Sometimes it's just a sheer miracle. It's just a sheer miracle that I can't explain it, but it was there and I took it. But other times, it's not a miracle. Sometimes he leads you back to that place and he says, jump in. You've got to jump in and find it for yourself. It's down there somewhere. I know it's dark and it's muddy. Get down there and swim and find it. And we, like the psalmist, why are you downcast, oh my soul? Put your hope in God. See, there's moments in life where we've got to learn to encourage ourselves. God, a, a miracle hasn't happened yet. The doctor's reports are still coming back negative. All this has happened, but you know what? I'm not giving up. I'm jumping in. I'm getting in the word. I'm swimming for it. I know I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm going through the dark mire. I know I'm going through. It just feels like everything, if, if it could go wrong, it has gone wrong. But God, I'm not giving up searching. I will find my blade. I will get my passion back. I will get my marriage back. And sometimes we've just got to pursue. And we've got to dive in and get dirty. And we've got to push through it. And then there's other times when I think droughts happen. And you go through a period of life where everything just seems dry. But what happens in the drought is waters start to recede. And all of a sudden they begin to reveal stuff that was once lost. And see, sometimes we don't like the droughts. We don't like going through the droughts. But we serve a God who works all things for the good. And it could be that you were going through that drought so that way God could reveal to you something that you left in your past that you were never supposed to give up. And you've got to reach out. And you've got to take it. And all of a sudden, you've been in this drought, and you've lost your job, and you've, oh, wait a minute, I realized I didn't like that job anyway. Well, wait, everything, but what I, what I really wanted to pursue was I wanted to be a teacher. I, I, I wanted to be a police officer. I, I, I wanted to be a, a business owner. And see, a drought had to happen for you to see that thing that you lost a long time ago. Sometimes there's a miracle. Sometimes we've got to dive in. Sometimes there's a drought. But here's the thing. No matter how it works, there's this one thing that's always in common. And the prophet says it here to this man. You've got to reach out. You've got to grab it. You've got to want it. You've got to want it. If you will, please stand with me to your feet. You've got to be willing to make the ask. You've got to be willing to say, God, you know, it's, I'm, put, I'm putting all this aside. I'm, I'm putting the worry and the fear and the anxiety. God, I'm going for it. I'm going to grab it. I'm getting my passion back. I'm getting my blade back. I told this story this morning as we were in prayer. I was telling some of the, uh, the serve team this morning, I said, 
You know, when we started the year, I just felt like 2018, I was so pumped up. I felt like, God, this is the year. You're going to do something amazing. And, and I was telling my wife, babe, I haven't felt this good in years. I haven't felt like just the anticipation of knowing that God is going to do something right here in Brunswick County. I said, but babe, something happened the last probably about week to 10 days. I just feel like I've lost my passion. I feel like I've, I've lost my blade. And I don't know why. I, nothing's gone wrong. There's no big catastrophe at the house or none of that. I just kind of feel like, I, I told uh, the best word I could describe it was blah. I just felt blah. I, I, I don't feel like I, I have that, that first love. And, and, and then I read this this week in the scripture, and, and I got to thinking, well, God, what, what's, what's my tension point? What's the place that I keep breaking at? And, and what I found was, for me, is I have this tendency to kind of get ahead of God. I have this tendency to want to, to, to work for God instead of work with God. I have this tendency to get caught up, just like this gentleman where uh, he has this passion in his heart. He wants to build this house. He wants to build this thing all, all, all for the kingdom. And he want, he was, he's doing a good thing. And, and I get caught up with God. I'm, we're going to do this for Brunswick County. And we're going to do this for people. And, and we're going to do this and this. And I start working. And, and at some point, God, wh- where'd you go? How did I, how did I, how did I leave you? And God was just showing me this tension point in my life. He was showing me the area in which, just like this axe head, just like the shovel, that it breaks. And so I found myself preparing the surface. Lord, forgive me. God, forgive me for getting ahead of you. This has been a presentation of Coastal Vineyard Church, a community of faith, hope, and love. For more information on who we are and how you can support future podcasts, visit us on the web at www.coastalvineyard.org. Come to the sea.